So today we come to chapter 11 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. But since chapter 10 is only 11 verses long, I want to have us look there first. And we'll just go ahead and read through chapter 10 so we can kind of stay within the context and then we'll go right on into chapter 11 and start to break it down from there. So, Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he sat his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now, if you weren't here last week, we went through that. We broke that all down verse by verse. And it is available on our website to listen to or on iTunes. But verse 1, chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So, again, 42 months is equal to three and a half years. So at this point in the Great Tribulation, again, that's what we're studying as we've gotten this far in Revelation. We've come into that time of the Great Tribulation. But at this time, at this point in time that's being pointed out to us here, there will be a temple of God on the earth again in Jerusalem. And John is being told here in this vision to take some measurements of this future temple. He's basically being told here to size it up, right? Take a good look at it. Understand it in depth. Know every inch of it. Keep in mind here, right, that in this part of this vision, this mighty angel has come down from heaven that we talked a lot about last week. And he has a, a foot on the earth and a foot on the sea. And this angel is indeed now pointing out to John a temple of God that's on the earth. Today, there is not 
officially a temple of God in Jerusalem that is the dominant place, right? There is, however, a very prominent Islamic place of worship in Jerusalem today, and it is known as the Dome of the Rock. Now, we know from Scripture, right, that there are really only two types of people on the earth from the viewpoint of God Almighty, scripturally speaking, right? And that would be Jews and Gentiles. Jews and non-Jews. That's from, from the scripture standpoint, that's the people on the earth. Jews and John are non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. Now, of course, we know that there are all sorts of ethnic groups, right? But again, I'm talking about from the pages of scripture, God's word, we're only talking about Jews and Gentiles. And when it comes to people, it's that simple. There's no need to complicate it any further, right? So therefore, those of the Muslim religion that are in Israel today and manage and run, and run this Dome of the Rock that's there, these folks are, of course, not Jews, so what are they? They're Gentiles. I am a Gentile, and all of you here are Gentiles, okay? Jerusalem is, of course, the holy city of God. And again, in the future, there will be another temple built, the Jewish, a Jewish temple of God in Jerusalem. And this is the temple that we see the mighty angel telling the apostle John here to size up. Remember, what we're looking at in Revelation is all future events, things that are going to happen in the future. And at that time in the future, the time when this temple has been rebuilt, the Dome of the Rock will not be standing where it is, or at the very least, it won't be standing as it is today. And the reason for that is that the Dome of the Rock is constructed or was constructed upon the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is a place where there once stood a temple to the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There once was a temple there. The temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And after the Romans destroyed the temple, they built a temple, a, a place of, or a shrine there, if you will, to Jupiter, one of their many false gods. They built that, or they put that there on the Temple of the Rock. But in the year 637, the Muslims seized, seized, um, seized Jerusalem again, and they constructed the Dome of the Rock in the year 637. It was completed in 691. Okay? Then in 1099 AD, I'm giving you guys some world history here, right? Then in 1099 AD, right, a group of men known as the Crusaders, who were backed by the Roman Catholic Church, they captured Jerusalem again, and they made the building there into, uh, you know, a church on that Temple Mount. They turned it into a church. Then, some years passed, 1187 A.D., the Sultan of Egypt and Syria, whose name was Saladin, a Muslim, he led a group of Muslims in a war against the Catholic-backed Crusaders, and those Muslims defeated the Crusaders, captured the Temple Mount once again, reestablished the Dome of the Rock, that still stands there today. And that's how we know it today. That happened in 1187. Okay, but then in 1917, the British paid to have the Dome of the Rock, the Rock remodeled. But 10 years later, in 1927, 
an earthquake hit and it damaged all of the remodeling work, the majority of the remodeling work that the British had paid for. So today the Dome of the Rock is of course still under Muslim rule. Now, of course, Jerusalem belongs to Israel. Israel won the Six-Day War of 1967 and they captured that land. But as an act of kindness and an attempt to keep peace, Israel allowed for the Muslims to keep control of the Dome of the Rock. Okay, this was a tremendous act of humanitarian, humanitarianism on the part of Israel. But again, this, I tell you all that to say that the situation is that right now the Dome of the Rock stands on the Temple Mount. And, and this here, at some time in the future, there will stand there another temple to the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And here in Revelation 11, again, the Apostle John in this vision is being shown this temple and he's told to size it up, to take it all in. And from this point in time, in other words, at this point of the great tribulation that we've been studying about, the temple of God is already standing and the Gentiles will be able to walk around the outer court for another 42 months three and a half years. So that's the point of the tribulation where we're at here. The temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. It is established as like the first temple was, which had an outer court for the Gentiles to walk in. You know, and that's, that's just the way that the Jews set it up, the way that God gave them to set it up. You know, so again, the temple has been rebuilt on the mount at this point. It's fully functional again. Daily sacrifices will be taking place and Gentiles or non-Jews will be allowed only in the outer courts. Now this is nothing strange because um, you know, that's the way the original temple was set up as well. And not only that, but today, if you go to Jerusalem today, the Muslims don't allow non-Muslims in certain parts of the Dome of the Rock. They don't allow the Jews to come there and to worship, even though the Jews gave it to them and allowed them to keep the place once they captured it in, in, in the war. But today the Muslims don't allow the Jews to come there and to worship at that place. You know? So these are the ways of religion. We have, a, we have a temple right there, right, that we can see. Only certain people of that religion are allowed into certain parts of that temple. Our neighbors are, you know, of that religion, and they're not allowed into certain parts of that temple because they don't tithe enough. Once they start to give more money, they said they'll be allowed into other parts of that temple. When they opened that temple up, they opened it up for people to tread upon, to walk around, to look at. Then after they did that, they tore the tile out that the non-Mormons walked on because they didn't want that same tile to be tread upon by non-people. So that's the ways of religion, right? And we have that today with the Dome of the Rock, and we have that with the temple in the way things are going to be set up. So there's this outer court, the court of the Gentiles, right? Where they are allowed to tread. And at this point in time, there's 42 more months, three and a half years, where they'll be allowed to tread out there. So this mighty angel tells John here not to concern himself, though, with the outer court at this point in time. Just take a, look, a good look at the temple, John, and size it all up, right? 
Then verse 3 continues, and this mighty angel says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, in case you were wondering, 1,260 days is equal to 42 months, right? Three and a half years. Now, I'll give you some interesting information. I'm giving you a lot of history and a lot of facts on different things today, but I think this is in, in, interesting. This is information that I didn't come up on my, on my own. I found it online after doing some research, but I'm going to read it to you directly as I read it. And this is in regards to the calendar, the Jewish calendar, because we're looking at months here. I said that that 1,260 days equals 42 months or three and a half years. Well, the Jewish calendar is based on three astronomical phenomena. The rotation of the earth about its axis, right, which is one day. The, revelation, the revolution of the moon around the earth, which is one month. And the revolution of the earth around the sun, which is one year. These three phenomena are independent of each other, so there is no direct correlation between them. On average, the moon revolves around the earth in about 29 and a half days. The earth revolves around the sun in about 365 and a quarter days. That is about 12.4 lunar months. The civil calendar, okay, the calendar that we use, that most of the world use, they, that, that calendar abandoned the, the correlation between the moon cycles and the month. That calendar that we use did away with that astronomical phenomena, right? right? Ar and what they did was they arbitrarily said, okay, we're going to set the months at this, 28 or 29 or 30 or 31 days. They arbitrarily did that. The, the count, our calendar that we use today isn't based on anything like the Jewish calendar was. The Jewish calendar coordinates all three of these astronomical phenomena, right? Months are either 29 or 30 days on the Jewish calendar, corresponding to 29 and a half day lunar cycle. Years are either 12 or 13 months, corresponding to 12.4 month solar cycle. So the bottom line that I wanted to get to you here is that the average month on the Jewish calendar is 30 days. So these two witnesses here will be on the earth for three and a half years, which is 42 months of 30 day months. Okay, And what they will be doing is they will be prophesying, it says, for that period of time. Now we are not told uh, what they will be saying exactly, right? And we're not told exactly who these two witnesses are. But verse 4 does tell us something here. Verse 4 says, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Remember, the book of Revelation, a bunch of symbolism. Remember, a lot of this symbolism is based in the Old Testament scripture. Okay, 
because the original recipients of this letter knew those scriptures. But let's talk about this for a while. These two witnesses represent two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Okay. Now what I want you to do is mark this page and turn to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Go ahead and take your time to follow it if, or find it. If you need to go to the front of your Bible and look up the page number, um, do that. But we're going to go to Zechariah. Chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Okay, so pause right there. Let's see if we can visualize this here. Zechariah is being shown by an angel here a lampstand of solid gold. Okay, so Zechariah is getting a vision here from an angel. And he's, he's being shown a lampstand of solid gold. On top of this lampstand, right, there is a bowl. And out of this bowl is coming seven pipes. The seven pipes are feeding into seven other lamps. Okay? Now, of course... It's hard to picture this kind of thing, but before the invention of electricity, what was used to ignite lamps? What did they keep lamps burning with? Oil, right? I don't know about you, but my mom lived during the Great Depression, and we always had an oil-burning lamp in our house. She always thought that we were going to be without something someday, and she always had an oil-burning lamp on our dining room table, and she kept that thing full of oil and there was a wick in there and she would burn that wick she would she would burn that lamp as well right but so that is somewhat of what we need to be picturing here about this lampstand it's a lampstand has a ball on top seven pipes are coming out and feeding into seven other lamps okay so then verse 3 says two olive trees are by it one on the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So very simple here, right? Where is the bowl getting its oil from? The olive trees on each side of the bowl are feeding the oil into the bowl on the lamp. The seven pipes are coming out. It's feeding the seven lamps, okay? Then verse 4. 
So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so this mechanism, if you will, that Zechariah sees here, it is representative of the Word of God. The Word of God is the oil that keeps the lamps burning. David said in the Psalms, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The angel very clearly answers Zechariah, and tells him here that the olive trees and the lampstand that he sees is the word of the Lord. Today, you and I, we have the word of the Lord, and it works in our lives in the same way. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? That's how the word of God works in our lives today. This is why 1 Corinthians 2 says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the Word of God speaks to us spiritually and works in us spiritually, not by might, not by power, but by his Spirit. Okay? So this represents, so this lampstand represents the word of the Lord. The olive trees represents the feeding into that bowl out to those seven lamps. Okay, keep all of that in mind. Flip back to Revelation chapter 11. It says in verse 4, again, there are two olive trees and two lampstands. If the olive trees and the one lampstand in Zechariah represent the word of the Lord, then why is there only one lampstand in Zechariah and two in Revelation? Well, in the time of Zechariah, you had the Old Covenant. What we know today as the Old Testament in our Bibles. But in our present day and in the future to come, there are two sections of the word of the Lord. We still have the Old Testament, of course, and we also have the New Testament. So these two witnesses prophesy, and to me they represent the word of the Lord, the Old and the New Testament. Because John is told here that these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Okay? How did we figure all that out? How did we just all how did we just deduce that? We went back to the word of God. We stayed in the word of God. We went and allowed the word of God to interpret the word of God looking back in Zechariah. Now, who is it that feeds off of the oil of the word of God today? Who feeds off of the oil of the word of God today? Remember, in Zechariah, the two olive trees fed the bowl. I know I'm being redundant here, but that, they fed the bowl that was on the lampstand, and the lampstand fed oil out to seven lamps, right? 
So who are the seven lamps that are being fed this oil? Well, we know from Revelation chapter 1, you can go ahead and flip back there. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, we read that. Revelation 1.20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And he says, And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Okay? I'm going to be redundant again. Repetition is the mother of all learning, right? But Zechariah saw the two olive trees, fed the bowl that was on top of the lampstand, and the lampstand fed seven lamps. And here in Revelation 1, we're told that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, even though at this point in time that the, that the church has been taken off of the earth, it's not here during the Great Tribulation, there are still two witnesses on the earth that prophesy. And the two witnesses are the word of the Lord, the Old and the New Testament. Symbolically here, that's what they are representing. The word of God is still on the earth during the great tribulation. And verse 5 goes on and says, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So these two witnesses that John sees in this vision are on the earth during the Great Tribulation and people don't like what these two witnesses have to say. And this shouldn't be a strange thought to us because people today don't like to hear what the word of the Lord has to say either. People today want to get rid of the word of the Lord in any way they can. They want, to, they, they want you who stand upon the word of God to be open to other viewpoints, to consider other viewpoints. They don't like the word of the Lord because it speaks against their sinful ways. I'll share a story with you. When I was in the middle of studying this and preparing for this, I got a phone call. Someone wanted to three-way me in on a call and ask me Bible questions. I didn't know the person, the third person on the line. Someone called me and said, will you talk to this person? I said, yes. Got them on the line. They said, okay. They wanted me to read in John chapter 16. And they, they read John, the whole chapter of John chapter 16 to me, which is Jesus speaking to uh, about the Holy Spirit that he's sending. And they asked, who is this? Who is this speaking? I said, is Jesus Christ speaking? They said, who is he speaking about? I said, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. How, and, they, and this conversation went on for an hour and these people were so perplexed. How is Jesus God? You have to tell me how Jesus is God. I mean, the Lord's pricking at their heart and they're calling, right? How is, so I take them through all these scriptures and tell them everything like that. And we get through all of this, and then, then at the end they start yelling at me and telling me, no, in John chapter 16, it is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It is talking about the prophet Muhammad. 
And He is the one that brings all truth. And He is the one that is coming. And the guy starts going off on me and, and all that. And I just calmly kept walking through him with the scripture. Well, hold on. Let's go back and look at this. And he would be something. He said, show me anywhere in here where Jesus says he, He's God. I said, well, let's look at this. John chapter 10, I take him there. He says, I said, read that. He reads it. He says, I and the Father are one. I said, what does he mean by that? Why did Jesus say I and the Father are one? And he sat quiet. I said, are you there? And he sat quiet. And I said, are you there? And he said, yeah. Uh, he goes, yeah. And then he just blows up again. So anyway, I tell you all this to say people don't like what the Word of God has to say because it goes against what maybe they were raised up in, maybe what they're rooted and grounded in, whatever. But yet the Word of God pricks at people's hearts when they open it up and read it. And this was what was happening in this man's life is that he was perplexed by it. And I told Penny, it reminded me of the Ethiopian man that Philip came upon and said, who is this talking about when he was reading Isaiah? You know, and I was patient with the guy, even though he was yelling at me. And at the end, he just thanked me for taking my time to talk with him and all that. But the point is, is that Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light. They don't want to come into the light. They don't want to come to the truth because their deeds are exposed. Okay, so it's, it's not strange to us here that people don't like, won't like what these two witnesses represent and what they're prophesying. Okay, remember the world, of, the, the world has taken the word of God out of our schools today, right? They're, they're taking it out of our federal buildings. They're taking it down from our courthouses and such. Okay? They are redefining the word of the Lord. They're redefining what it says about manhood, womanhood. They're redefining marriage. They're redefining how you should raise up your children. Right? You are considered archaic and behind the times if you believe that the word of God still applies today in the 21st century. I've heard so many people say, come on, you believe the word of God? It's the 21st century. Well, it's unchanging. Yes, I do. Yes, we stand upon it, right? But we are being told today to accept all other beliefs. We must tolerate everything. But all the while, they won't tolerate your standing upon the word of the God, right? So today, though, we live in an age of grace. We live in a time of mercy where God is reaching out to people through the word of God and still calling people to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, right? So not all religions lead to heaven. The Bible proclaims that there is only one name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. And in this age of grace, though, again, there is mercy. And there, uh, you know, there are there's, there's even mercy on people today that profane the word of God. He's given, God is giving people a chance to repent today. But in the days that we're studying about right here in Revelation... The days of the great tribulation, it's all changed at that point. You, we've seen that as we've gone along. It's a whole new story now, right? And those that try to harm these two witnesses will themselves be harmed in like manner. Because at that point in time, the, the day of grace is no more. Okay? And let's read on. Verse 6. These have power. I read this already, but let's read it again. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. 
Do we see those things in the word of the Lord anywhere? Who in the Old Testament shut heaven so that no rain fell in the days of his prophecy? Who was that? It was Elijah, right? You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 17. And who in, and who in the Old Testament turned water into blood and brought plagues on the earth? Who in the Old Testament did that? It was Moses. And Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. In our Old Testaments today, that's what we have, the law and the prophets, right? That is the sections of our Old Testament. But again, not only do we have the Old Testament today, the law and the prophets, but we also have the New Testament. So therefore, these two witnesses represent two olive trees and two lampstands. Okay? When they finish their testimony, verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put into graves. So what's happening here is Satan, as we talked about again a couple of weeks ago, coming out of the bottomless pit, seeks, seems, he seems to have won the victory here over these two witnesses. The two witnesses lie dead in the street in Jerusalem for all to see. And they don't even clean up the street here and remove their bodies because they want it to be on display for all the world to see that the witnesses of God, the word of the Lord, has finally been done away with. And again, that's at work in our society today. Getting rid of the word of God. Taking it out of our schools, taking it out of our court system, redefining marriage, redefining everything, right? Take the word of God out. That's what they want to do. So these witnesses, right, the word of the Lord is gone, they think. It's a victory here for Satan. The party, it's party on the earth now, baby, right? No one to convict the world of sin any longer because the two witnesses are gone. And those, verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. You see, the word of God in some ways torments people, doesn't it? Because they want to live life the way they want to live life. They want to continue in sin, but the word of God convicts us of sin. Okay? It convicts you and me, doesn't it? It reproves us. It corrects us. It instructs us in righteousness. But these people of the great tribulation, during that period of time, they're rejoicing over the death of these two witnesses. They're having a party, sending gifts to one another. Okay? Verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Uh-oh. <laughs> They're back alive again. And great fear fell on those who saw them. 
And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Wow. The church, right? The body of Christ is no longer on the earth at the point at this time of the tribulation, right? And now these two witnesses are gone as well. It's going to get worse now. In the same hour, verse 13 says, There was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. So the party's over, isn't it? The laughter, all the exchanging of gifts and all of that, all of that's ceased, and now reality has set in, right? Today, though, people party on, don't they? Life is about fun. Get all you can, right? Sex outside of marriage, fornication, experimentation. Live it up. Do whatever makes you feel good. That's the way people live today. But the word of the Lord convicts people and warns people that there is a judgment to come. The word of the Lord tells us, tells a person how they really should be living and what is and what is not acceptable to God. But when tragedy strikes People seek the Lord and they begin to praise Him like this here when these earthquakes came, right? when this earthquake came and fear fell upon Him. Right? We saw that in ni- during 9-11, didn't we? What happened in America during 9-11? The churches filled to capacity for the next several Sundays. But once things calmed down again, people went back to their lives. Today, when people have medical hardships like cancer, heart problems and such, they turn to the Lord. But he's always been there. He's always been faithful. Right? And all can come to him today. And they can read the Bible. They can learn about Jesus Christ. They they come to him through the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. But this great earthquake hit. 7,000 people killed. A tenth part of Jerusalem is destroyed. And verse 14 says, The second woe is past. Behold. The third woe is coming. So all of that, right, was the second woe. To hear about the first woe, you can go back and listen to the teaching of chapter 9 or simply go to chapter 9 and read about it yourself. And from chapter 10, verse 7, on up to chapter 11, verse 14 here, all of this that we just read, all of that happened as the angel was about to sound. He didn't sound yet, his trumpet. We've already read about the six other angels sounding their trumpet. This one hasn't sounded at this point yet, but he was about to sound and all that that we just talked about took place. Then in verse 15, we see where then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever." And ever. I always want to sing that part right there when I read that verse, right? And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. What was the nations angry about? Again, the nations are angry against the Word of God, and they're trying to get rid of the Word of God even in our day 
and age. The, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. So you see, this is what the future holds. Great devastation awaits those that do not fear the Lord, that do not reverence the Lord. There will be a great tribulation period to come upon this earth. The Lord will execute judgment. He will destroy those that destroy the earth. He will take care of those people that defame His holy word. Jesus shall reign forever and ever. He alone is Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come. At His name and at His name alone, we're told from Scripture that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there will again be a great temple on the earth in Jerusalem. And there is indeed a, a temple in heaven that we see in verse 19. And we see there that it is opened. And that at its opening there will be lightning, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, great hail. You see, this time that we are reading about here in Revelation is getting closer and closer. So the word of the Lord must go forth. Again, remember, we live in a time today where whosoever will can come to the Lord. We're not living in this time yet. We're living in an age of grace. People can come. People can turn to the Lord. Okay? And the word of the Lord is the only hope for a dying people. The word of the Lord is the power of God unto salvation. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So the grace of God, the word of the Lord, the gospel must be preached. Because everything we're talking about now is a time yet to come in the future. So we should study the word of God. We should be pre prepared to share it with people around us. You should be prepared that if you get a phone call and someone says, what does this mean? You know the word of the Lord. You study it, right? But again, today people party on, but the judgment is coming for those that do not reverence the Lord. Okay? And we need to keep the commands of the Lord because those who keep the commands of the Lord, both small and great, as we see in verse 18, there is a, a reward coming for those. So, again, two woes have passed, and yet another one remains. And all of this information should be sobering to you and me today. We should examine ourselves, and we should make sure that we're living in obedience to the word of the Lord. We are to have our lamps trimmed. Okay, We are to be sure that we have oil in our lamps, the word of God flowing in us and through us. And we need to be ready for the Lord to call us home. You can read this on your own. Actually, I'm going to read it to you. Let's do it. I was, I was going to skip over it here. But Matthew chapter 25, we're going to close just by reading this. I'm going to read this and then we're going to go into prayer. Matthew chapter 25, 
I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. So Jesus tells a parable here, right? He says that the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. So you got to be ready. Keep the oil in your lamp. you got to know the word of the Lord. Again, like I always say, in order to know the will of the Lord for your life, you've got to know the word of the Lord. So you've got to study the word of the Lord. And we've got to know what's coming and what's happening and seek the Lord. Let's pray.